88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Ask Leader. We'll be back in just a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are on Ask a Leader this morning, and today um, I, I hope all the folks who are celebrating uh, Seder, the Passover, that have found meaning in linking the development of today with the days when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt and their bondage. I believe that when one gets the most out of rituals, it's because one finds the connections between our struggles and the struggles of our forebears. We take stock of their trials, which likely were more unwieldy than we can imagine in the abstract. So, thank you all for joining us on Ask a Leader today. This morning, we have the pleasure of hearing from one woman who took her struggle and made it into an enterprise. Gina Russo-Lopez, the proprietor of Sugar Beets Bakery, offers gluten-free and vegan foods. The second half of the show, Professor Victor Becerra will uh, be he is the UCI Community Outreach Partnerships uh, Center's director. He'll talk to us about his upcoming conference and ongoing efforts of this research university to meet the needs of the community. Well, my first guest, as I mentioned, is Gina Russo-Lopez, and she'll tell me what she, which last name she prefers to use. Once, uh, who, uh, Gina, through a uh, protracted struggle with uh, ill health, discovered that she had celiac disease. And once she was fortunate finally to discover this condition and how to manage it with a rich food tradition and through hard work, she developed a line of bakery products for people with celiac and other conditions that require special diets. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Gina. Thank you very much, Claudia, for having me this morning. Oh, it's a delight to have you. And I, I must say, um, Gina, tell us, tell us what you what this whole celiac disease is about and how it affected you. Celiac disease is an ailment that people uh, are misdiagnosed for years. It basically is um, where the lower intestinal will no longer allow nutrients for your body to be absorbed through other food. So you've caused um, little tiny holes that leak any nutrients that your body will have due to the rejection of gluten. And gluten is in wheat, rye, oats that have been contaminated with other processing of wheat um, and barley. And so basically what my body was doing, it was rejecting any nutrient-dense food from being absorbed into my system, which in return was making me very sick. Um, everybody's ailments are, are different. Um, and again, I, I never suggest anybody diagnose themselves. Um, but that is, in a nutshell, what celiac is, and it does cause several different ailments with me. Um, I had a really bad skin disorder. Um, I had severe headaches. Uh, my body, uh, my metabolism was completely shut down, and I went misdiagnosed for years, very, for a very, very long time. Um, I even had very severe depression um, just because I never felt good. Um, I've dealt with stomach problems my whole life. I was a very colicky child, always had stomach aches, very bad, um, what they call uh, IBS. So, um, IBS, irritable so bowel I, syndrome? 
irritable bowel syndrome exactly, exactly at a very, very young age. So um, from what I'm understanding and the more um, I've discovered some self-resolvement uh, is is that you're, you're pretty much born with this type of disorder. And um, it is hereditary. Uh, my mother had stomach problems as well. Um, she does not have celiac, and as far as I know, my daughter does not have the same um, ailments that I have. However, she does follow a gluten-free diet because that's all we have in the home is gluten-free products. So, um, which I tend to see anyways uh, a better um, health bringing for her by offering gluten-free products. Um, I notice when she does have wheat or processed type of foods, she does suffer from headaches and, you know, she gets very tired. And so to me, it's just another reinforcement as to why I see um, a difference in her as well with having a gluten-free diet. So I think it's beneficial for her too. What amazing breakthrough. And I just... Mm-hmm. Just, I just wanted to say that this program is not, as you've mentioned too, uh, in not any way intending to take the place of consulting with a medical professional. We just want to make sure that Gina Russo's discoveries are more widely known so that people don't need to suffer the way that Gina and her, her, uh, her family members have. That is correct. That is correct. In fact, at the end of the show, we can certainly go through um, wonderful organizations that are filled with doctors and networks and corporations of people that can help diagnose people, can help get them the help that they would see fit for their own needs. This is just about me and my journey, but by any means, no, by any means, I am not a doctor, not at all. But I do um, understand and I can um I can feel what others feel when they have been diagnosed with celiac. It's a very big rude awakening, and one of the biggest things. And please um, stop me if I'm jumping ahead. Not ahead. Go one ahead. One of the biggest, biggest things that I found when um, I was diagnosed and meeting with other people and connecting with them was the missing of desserts. Um, you know, wonderful baked fresh muffins and and donuts and cakes and things that they just, you know, basic things that we take for granted that are out there thinking, you know, a a basic birthday cake and, you know, how some people go have gone without for so long. And I I just really felt that it was something that um, was missing, something that was missing. um, As I have indicated in my bio, food is a very big deal for me. Um, it's always been the base of my family, and come to find out, it's the base of a lot of people's families. Um, parties tend to be, you know, the centralization of people coming together and enjoying each other's company, and being gluten intolerant puts a damper on that. You know, there's a lot of children, especially, that don't understand when they can't share items that other people are enjoying. And so when I was diagnosed and, and when I was speaking to other people, I think I found my calling. I think I think that the business that I created is for people to give them the opportunity to feel normal, especially children, to give them the options to have that most people take for granted that they just get. And 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 not only offer just having the gluten intolerance, but we also provide a lot of nutrient dense desserts. So we always make sure there's fruits and vegetables, um, as I've indicated uh, to you prior to this, is beet juice. 
Uh, organic beet juice is, is delicious, and it also serves a purpose. It's heart-soothing. It's, it's a warm type of juice. It provides vitamin B and iron and tons of nutrients. And, and antioxidants. just a little bit. Antioxidants on wheels. Yeah. All those things. It, it, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And nobody ever, ever can really taste beet juice in it. It, it really just adds extra protein and power, and um, it, it helps, too, as a leavening for my baked goods, so, and an additional sugar, and um, it's great. It's great. So my bakery is based off helping other people, people who um, not only celiac survivors, but it's dairy-free, it's egg-free, it's casein and whey-free. We also offer many soy-free products um, and tons of sugar-free, because we also have, as you know, uh, in the United States, the highest forms of obesity and diabetes, heart disease. On the and, increase. Uh, it, it's amazing. I want to let those who've just tuned in, we're listening to Gina Russo, proprietor of Sugar Beets Bakery here in the region. And um, she's leading us through her journey of uh, understanding the basis for her uh, her condition and earlier on and realizing that it is in fact a celiac disease that she has been uh, tormented by these many years and so you were working at Whole Foods in the nutrition department and you sort you were sorting out what kinds of what's going on with the the products uh, throughout that store and throughout the the supermarkets um, that we go to and you landed on this sugar beet, commodity as a way for uh, uh, substituting the conventional baked item uh, constituents. That is correct. I, I was working for Whole Foods. I worked for them for about three and a half years. An absolutely amazing place to be to really learn and understand what health and nutrition and the connection to your mind and body is all about. And um, I had still been suffering from many of my ailments. I had not been diagnosed yet. And um, I really don't know how this woman came into um, the area. I mean, I do, I understand there was a woman that had to come into where I worked, which was what we call the whole body. It's the um, nutrition, supplement, holistic area of whole foods. And um, I had just been the one person to help this lady who was there and it apparently was um, rehabilitating a woman who was in the hospital and what she said was on her deathbed. Um, and this lady turns out to be a woman who worked for the... Um, I thought it was the Pasadena Celiac Organization, but what it turned out to be was uh, an organization out of Glendale. Is that the Celiac and, Disease Foundation, um, Gina? The Celiac Disease Foundation. Okay. So there she was. She had all this, all this, to, this whole door for you to open to, for you to stabilize your health. This whole door for me to open, exactly, exactly. And her hands were filled with about five different supplements that she had in them. And uh, you know, I went up to her and asked her if there was anything I could help her with, perhaps get her a cart. Um, you know, or if she had any questions on anything that she was looking for. And, uh, you know, after um, was quite, you know, taken back with as much as she had in her hands and after, you know, was it for herself. And that's when she began to open up and say there was a woman that she was rehabilitating that her family came to her about 
and that she was on her deathbed and that not one um, one administrative person at this particular hospital ever suggested that she be tested for celiac. And when the family members were discussing with this woman uh, all the ailments that this lady had gone through, she said she knew right away that she needed to be tested. And uh, from what I understood and what she told me was they did the test on her, and um, she came back positive. And once they changed her diet, she immediately started to recover. And it was just amazing. It was amazing that this lady came into this woman's life, was able to bring her back from what she said, these were her words, from the brink of death. And that's when a lot of, you know, questions I had, I started to inquire about. And she started to uh, really suggest that I get tested. And, and um, through the foundation, they were able to find a place to help me get tested through blood. And that's when I found out that I was positive as well. So, so um, that's why I say these foundations are, are pretty amazing places to go to. Gina, have you the Celiac Disease Foundation website, or is that, that gets us there if we just type up that? If you just type in Celiac Disease Foundation, it will take you directly there uh, to this particular facility. There is also the um, Orange County Celiac, which is another great place to go, and then also celiac.com. Okay. That's vital information for those who are wondering whether um, that's a possibility for the um, the kinds of struggles that they have. And I, kind I'm, of, exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, again, like I said, I'm, um, everybody is an individual. Uh, this is just a great place to get more answers to questions. And the amount of growth that has come since the early 90s is astronomical. Uh, there is so much support now for people who have been diagnosed and who may be questioning even the diagnosis of what they had been priorly diagnosed, whether it was a misdiagnosis of something um, or they swear that, you know, they just know that there's something going on. These people are wonderful. So all three of those places are, are absolutely amazing. And when I, you know, after I had been diagnosed, um, I started to realize one of the things I missed the most was baked goods. You know, again, uh -huh. it goes back to the baked goods because bread and your normal grains are all made from a white and a wheat flour, and which is everything that has the gluten inside of it. Even if it says rye, it's still got wheat in it, lots of it. Even if it says rye or even barley, it still has wheat in it. And then we also have to be people who have severe celiac have to be very, very careful with oats. Um, oats do not have gluten, but most oats are processed in facilities with other gluten byproducts. So they always run the risk of being cross-contaminated unless they indicate gluten-free oats. So I guess that's where some of the labeling just keeps getting more sophisticated, where the you oat have products to have very, to disclose very that. Careful. Okay. You're very, you're, you're correct with labels. That's a great point to make, Claudia. It's a great point because labels are very misleading misleading. Um, you have to know exactly what to look for. And again, these websites that I've just given you, specifically celiac.com, has provided for me a listing of all of the um, words that mean that are uh, gluten-free friendly. So when you read a label and you have any questions about the ingredients, there is an actual listing that celiac.com does provide 
to ensure that what you're getting is really gluten-free. Well, I have to admit that I hadn't heard anything about celiac, uh, but for a friend, you know, back in the early 2000s and, uh, you know, a person here, a person there, and then I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm relieved, though, that, um, you know, more and more in the mainstream um, uh, venues, you can find alternative products. I know that um, I've seen terrific um, pasta that's all brown rice that's sold at the Trader Joe's, and, and uh, you can find it other places so it seems like that, and I actually, I have a real affinity for that. I don't have celiac, but I, I for other reasons, I was um, uh, introduced the the brown um, brown rice pasta, and I find it very pleasing. And so, um, but it's very it's it's very very tasty, and and that is another way to look at you know not only is it tasty because especially in our baked products, we make sure that we use various forms of flour blends because. Obviously, we're not using your basic, typical flour. We're providing you more fiber and more protein. We use um, pinto bean flour, which is very, uh, it doesn't have a distinct flavor. It is a bean flour, but it's easy to utilize. It gives you more protein. It gives you more fiber. It doesn't taste um, like a bean. It, it really does assist, and we complement it with other flours like sorghum, and we use a delicious almond flour um, on some of our cupcakes. Okay, we and have... we use a rice flour, we use a brown rice flour, um, we use a garbanzo bean flour, so we really try and give people, and, and this is where a lot of our taste testing comes in, the same flavors and taste that they were looking for in the original baked goods but with more protein and fiber and nutrients. And, um, you know, we have fun with it, too. Don't get me wrong. Oh, you know, indeed. We have some really sweet, sweet treats, too. I've, um, uh, yes. But. I just wanted to say, uh, we're remind uh, anyone uh, who's just tuned in that we are listening to Gina Russo, proprietor of Sugar Beets Bakery, here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. I mean, I drool when I look at your website, Gina, and I, I have to attest to the delicious tastings I had at a recent UCI health fair. And I, Gina, you just why don't you tell us about your actual bakery line? Sure. Uh, we currently offer a complete baking line of cupcakes, uh, cookies. Um, we do baked donuts. We do tarts. Um, we do brownies. Uh, we do scones. And many of our items, in addition to being um, gluten-free, completely vegan, so there's no dairy, eggs, wheat, I mean, um, no casein or whey. Uh, we also offer soy-free. All of our muffins are soy-free, too. We also offer sugar-free. Um, and they're all, they're all unique in their own way. We, our biggest thing is our bakery is a small bakery, family-owned. Um, we currently only have about three people working the bakery right now. We're really looking to expand um, our bakery, hopefully, within this year to open up our own place. Uh, what we really like, uh, we, our first year has been rough. We've been open a little bit over a year. Uh-huh. Uh, we, um, uh, we, you know, expanded on some of our baked goods, but we offer a delicious variety of muffins, uh, banana, blueberry, zucchini, um, carrots, seasonal pumpkin. Uh, we also offer cakes, red velvet, chocolate, lemon, vanilla, banana, a sugar-free apple. All of those can be made into cupcakes. 
Um, we do full-on catering, and for all of our catering options, we also offer green environmental-friendly plates and forks and uh, beeswax candles, and that's fairly new uh, for our company. We are currently in two locations for Whole Foods, one in Pasadena on Arroyo Parkway, and then also one in Laguna Beach. We are in a wonderful little store that's a gluten-free, dairy-free market in the city of Orange that's called the Bite, Bite Market. Bite Market, okay. And also Mother's. Mm-hmm, that's wonderful. And Mother's, too? Mother's we Market? Yes, we just got into Mother's Market, and um, we have currently devoted two locations for them, which um, we haven't ironed out the exact locations, but we said we could dedicate only to two locations uh, currently for that place. And then there's another facility um, that we also got into for a company called um, Soul at Home. And uh, it's a wonderful uh, yoga studio with a lot of self-healing groups and um, many people who have been diagnosed with cancer um, or have some sort of ailment. Uh, go to this place. It's in Tustin. It's called Soul at Home. And um, I have a gentleman contact us regarding our baked goods and uh, would really like to see an opportunity for us to have them in his place. Um, and, uh, again, it's, it's a wonderful little place facility. I'm, I'm very particular with where our stuff goes. Um, our line is very clean. We do not add any preservatives, artificial flavors, no trans fats, there's no cholesterol, no high fructose corn syrup. Nothing we use has any genetically modified organisms, which are GMOs. We use organic beet juice. It is not beet sugar. Um, I use organic almond milk as tons of substitutes for um, our non-dairy uh, milk choices. And, um, you know, I, I know that there's a need for us, Claudia. I know that we supply many people, not only celiac survivors, but, again, people who are suffering from heart disease and diabetes. I have many family um, members or, or friends who have autistic children, children who suffer from attention deficit disorders that find when they take away those sugars, when they take away the refined flours, that their children are so much more focused. Their behaviors completely change. Um, again, this is their their perception of this. This is not coming from a doctor. This is strictly just what they truly feel in their heart. Um, so we do have a special place in uh, the autistic uh, you know community as well. And I don't know if you know, but this is Autism Awareness Month. Oh, that's right. Um, it is. And so it's a really big month. And um, I know that there's going, uh, there's a big uh, function going at the Rose Bowl, and I believe it's um, an autism walk that they're having over there. So, and I, and I know it's through, um, I don't know the exact name of the organization, but it is a big walk going on this Saturday at the Rose Bowl, and they do, uh, you do have to do a donation for it. Uh, but again, you know, autism is another thing that is so big in our country, too. There's a connection there. I just, excuse me, I wanted to get back to your reference to, to diabetes. Let's say we're looking at one of your brownies or one of your uh, mm-hmm. your baked donuts. What is the the diabetic uh, exchange for each one of those baked items? Absolutely. Well, when it comes to the baked donut, the baked donut is a little bit um, sweeter because uh, if you have just the cake donut itself, we utilize very little of an organic dark brown sugar. So little is by about 
one-fourth cup, and we get over two dozen basic vanilla donuts. Oh, wow. If you add the vanilla frosting or the chocolate ganache, you're going to increase a little bit more of that sugar content. We do use an organic confectionate sugar, which means that it's not filtered with any type of bone chart, completely vegan. Um, but we do all know that organic confectionate sugar is a higher on the sweetener scale, so your glycemic index will increase. What I usually tell my diabetic um, customers is if they choose to have the vanilla basic donut, we're going to put some sugar-free jam on that for you. Um, and this way you still get the sweetness of the donut, the look and feel of the donut, and who doesn't love homemade sugar-free jam? We offer raspberry, Those are the strawberry, best. fig. Those are the best homemade jams. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yes. So bad. They, they're phenomenal. They, they are the greatest. And so that's a great alternative for diabetic clients is to put that sugar-free homemade jam on there with our basic vanilla donut. Again, they're baked, not fried. We offer a sunflower coconut oil blend, so you're getting very good high fatty acids. Um, you're getting omega-3s. Uh, most people don't get that. You also have the flax mill inside of our donuts, which are phenomenal. Uh, they're very light, airy, moist. Um, and then when it comes to our brownies, our brownies are great because we use something called organic agave, which is made from a cactus that they usually make tequila from. Um, but in our case, we use it to bake our brownies. And so you will be utilizing uh, the agave. We use about three-fourths cup of organic. Um, we choose the darker blend of the agave by Wholesome Sweetener. And so for about three-fourths cup, you will get um, a good dozen of the brownies. And those are made with pinto and rice flour. So you're also getting um, more fiber as well. So they're very filling, very, very filling. And we use a raw chocolate sauce on top to um, complement them. And we get a lot of compliments on the brownies. So both options are, are superb for diabetic-friendly um, choices. We also offer sugar-free apple muffins. And um, the basis of that, uh, we make a homemade raisin blend uh, that gets folded in along with some apple butter. And so you get less fat, because I use, also use that as a fat replacer, and you get um, same sweetness. People don't understand that when you do utilize raisins and fresh um, butters, uh, that you do get tons of sweetness from it. It doesn't hit your glycemic index as fast as doing a basic sugar blend. It does it at a very slow pace, which is what diabetics need. Anything that's going to hit that bloodstream in such a, uh, an extreme amount is going to cause the headaches, the rush of that sugar on um, straight to their system, which is, as we know, not the best case for any diabetic person. So, can so, I? Um, I just wanted to establish, though, with the diabetic exchange, then, so one brownie could be. One, it's one sugar exchange, or what, uh, or less than one sugar exchange. No, it would it's compared to one to one sugar exchange, absolutely. Okay, versus a absolutely. conventional brownie would be how many exchanges? Oh goodness, I, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure on on what equivalents to a sugar exchange for a diabetic person, but I'm assuming I don't know the scale. But if we're at a one, I can guarantee you that it it's probably close to a fifteen. Oh, so okay. So brownies that's... in themselves. Probably one dozen would contain close to about two and a half to three cups of sugar, I'm sure. So that... And this is a regular sugar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, your, your bakery, let's see, your, your mailing address is San Dimas, but you're closer. You're actually baking closer to us than that, aren't you? Well, there's two bakehouses that I'm currently utilizing, unfortunately, until I get my own facility. And one is in the city of Upland. Um, I have a wonderful lady who has a bakery 
and basically doesn't um, utilize it for the back of the house at all. She sells most of her products up front. So we have the whole back of her bakehouse to ourselves, which is amazing. And, um, and it's working out wonderfully now. Um, and we also use a kitchen in the city of Orange when we can um, because we are not as uh, predominantly wealthy. There are plenty of other bigger companies that are able to pay a much heftier price for the kitchen in the city of Orange than we can. So we don't always get the... Um, the opportunity to rent the space is often. So we've had to use two separate facilities, which, um, you know, Claudia, it would be wonderful to meet somebody who has the same passion, desire that we do that is looking to go into business, um, that would like to see this company even grow and expand. We most certainly have the customer clientele. We have the demand for the baked goods. Um, it's out there. It's there. Most the business don't plan have is them. at work. Now, I, you know, I have to... Uh, it's a little bit of a burlesque question, but do you do weddings? Have you done any weddings yet, Gina? Um, we've had weddings where our wedding cookies uh, have been requested. We've also done um, a cupcake platter where we've had, uh, we have a big giant cupcake on top, and what's complimented is a small setting of 12 dozen cupcakes to go around it. Um, and we do very basic designs. We love the thought of fresh flowers. Um, and uh, so we do fresh flowers, fresh fruit with basic, simple uh, designs from various, uh, you know, um, leaves and, and just your basic design of, uh, on a cake. So I'm by no means uh, a wedding cake designer. Everything I do is very simple and fresh and clean, so lots of fresh fruits and flowers. So, yes, I have done a, a few intimate weddings, nothing major. I most certainly haven't been in, <laughs> invited to do the, uh, the new Queen of England's uh, wedding, oh. but, um, but they are simple and they're absolutely delicious. You can have your celiac... Wedding viewing party providing what you provide. Yes, Um, that would be wonderful. So um, it's it's a it's just a lovely product. Um, I wanted to um, remind people that um, we're listening to Gina Russo, proprietor of Sugar Beets Bakery. You can find out from her website on sugarbeetsbakery.com her line, uh, how you can order those uh, delectables and. I don't know. I think you can also post, don't you post on there where your um, your delectable uh, treats are uh, uh, presented at different events and occasions for people to, like what I experienced at the UCI Health Fair, at UCI Medical, Absolutely. about two months ago, Absolutely. I think it was. Mm-hmm. There's a complete listing at, uh, where everybody can get our items. Um, again, you can also do online orders. Uh, we also have our catering menu, which is wonderful if you have school functions, um, morning meetings, weddings, birthday parties, um, various things. We also uh, don't have listed some things that we uh, are going to be currently rolling out, such as uh, the creation of um, our cake pops, uh, which come in various flavors and, and are so fun. But uh, And we're going to be doing another function uh, at your facility at UC Irvine Medical with Cynthia Anderson. She's the wellness coordinator. And you guys are going to have something called the Women's Health Week, and ah. that's going to be on May 12th. May 12th, over in Orange, mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, Shanburn, um, li- outside the Shanburn Library, that green area, I think, is, it, is that where you were? That is correct. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the same area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's great. Um, that's uh, And I want to make sure we uh, that we everybody has an uh, um, ability to 
take down the, it's the there's the Orange County Celiacs, the Celiacs Disease Foundation, and celiac.com, which um, gives you more information about what symptoms uh, sufferers experience, um, what, mm-hmm. how to um, find markets for the alternative flour products, and how to um, to interpret um, with more literacy than we might have originally um, the labeling on the products. And I think you mentioned on your website that Bob's Red Mill out of uh, Oregon has a pretty good, pretty consistent way of, of labeling their products so that people are safely able to uh, um, use amongst the those uh, those items that he pr- uh, packages for use. That is correct. Bob's Red Mill has a certified gluten-free facility that he uses specifically to process all of his starches, his oats, his flour blends, um, a lot of the gums, uh, such as exanthem gum and guar gum, and uh, those are binders that bakers utilize. And again, his facility is, is uh, completely certified gluten-free, very safe, and always uh, wonderful, what a wonderful products. Um, yeah, they just a great, great line of products for him. Great man. Well, very good. Well, and, I, yes. Well, I was going to say, and, and then also the bite market is a wonderful gluten-free, dairy-free market uh, that we currently uh, use all the time as well, and you can go there if you live in the city of Orange. In Orange, where are they? like to take the drive. Yes, and uh, where are they generally located, Gina? They're located in um, downtown Orange, right on the block. It's one six. Glacelle Avenue. Oh, okay, very central there. Yeah, yeah. So right in the city of Orange, great, great place. And you know, I also have to, if I can, um, there's a Cal Poly Pomona Farm Store uh, has been so wonderful to us with allowing us to join them on a lot of the Kaiser Permanente Healthy Thrive Program um, farmers markets. And uh, they've currently allowed us to be able to utilize some of their space in the back of the farm store. Uh, for a garden. So we will not only be offering people um, our own opportunity to grow our own wonderful produce to use it in our, all of our big goods, so completely organic soil used and, and just a wonderful place, wonderful people, wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, if anything's taught me through this bakery, is it is, it is not survived on its own without meeting wonderful people like you or um, the people that work at Cal Poly Pomona College who uh, farm store specifically, who have just helped us continue to thrive. And um, and hoping that uh, others will look for us. Uh, I can be reached at grusso at sugarbeetsbakery.com for any questions about our products. Uh, again, our website is completely functional for orders. Uh, we do the catering, as already mentioned. And um, UC Irvine Medical Center for giving us the opportunity to speak with you today as well, Claudia. Well, Cynthia Anderson was lovely to make this introduction and give uh, us an opportunity to expand listeners' capacity to uh, solve <laughs> nagging issues that they're they're faced with, or you know, help out a friend who's uh, still not figuring out what their uh, what's going on in their their GI, as it were, and that has an impact mm-hmm. on so many other parts of the, one's body. So I, I I do agree. It's um I really appreciate your being able to tell us about this. I'm pleased that. Um, we could tap into your discoveries and your hard work. And uh, that's it for this portion of the show. Thank you, Gina, for being Thank my you. guest on the show. Good luck on your enterprise at Sugar Beets. We'll be looking for your products in increasingly more and more hand-picked stores throughout the region. Thank you so much, Claudia. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thanks a lot, Gina. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
Well, that was a treat, and take a look at that website. It really does make me drool just thinking about it. So we'll we'll be uh, back after a station break and uh, pick up with Victor Bracera. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Listen to Writers on Writing every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 88.9 FM, KUCI in Irvine. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, as the ladies all suggest. Here, and this is Claudia Shambaugh, your hostess on Ask a Leader. We have originally scheduled Victor Becerra, to be on our show. Um, I'm awaiting his arrival. Um, I'm trying to reach him now. Um, he is the director of UCI's Community Outreach Partnership Center, which he first joined in 2001. Always actively, uh, uh, civically engaged, Victor has been helping the university lend a hand to, to neighborhoods in need. And because of his commitment to building stronger communities, improving residents' quality of life, Victor Bracera has received in 2010 the Living Our Values Award for staff members with more than five years of service. He's also Associate Director of UC's Center for Community Development Studies, which promotes equity and social justice for underserved populations. And while we await his uh, imminent uh, arrival, uh, we can talk about the panel, the forum that Victor will be hosting next Monday, April 25th that will run all day long and he um, will be inviting as uh, the keynote for this wonderful forum, uh, the forum called Public Scholarship Engaging Contradictions in the Contemporary University and the keynote speaker will be UC Santa Cruz's very uh, George Lipsitz and uh, an American studies scholar professor with the black studies at uc santa cruz so what we'll do is we'll take a station break here and we will uh, talk to victor in just a momento okay we'll be right back Welcome back to Ask a Leader. We have now the inestimable Victor Becerra in the studio, live with us in Studio A. We've already heard uh, the introduction of this director of UCI's Community Outreach Partnership Center. And now we get to talk to him directly. Um, we've ta we've, we're talking about not only his uh, the Partnership Center, but also his work in promoting equity and social justice for underserved populations. Well, Victor, what are some of the examples of your public engagement? Well, let me and start. welcome. Yeah, thank you, Claudia, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be here today and to speak to the uh, UCI community and other listeners who are tuning in to uh, this great program that you do. Oh, um, thank you. 
Um, so the, um, the Community Outreach Partnership Center is a center in the School of Social Ecology. In July of this year, it will be, have been around about 10 years. And um, our, my primary goal as director um, is to use the, um, the center to provide training um, opportunities in community-based research to graduate students and to faculty. Um, and I do that in a variety of ways, including utilizing uh, classes that I uh, specifically sponsor that uh, partner with local organizations who are interested um, in uh, utilizing a research effort to help them um, secure timely and useful information to do a number of things um, from um, advancing their a particular campaign that they're working with to um, identifying um, um, the sort of root causes of uh, issues that they're um, trying to address through programs and services um, to um, looking forward trying to take a time to anticipate what uh, what trends are and um, and using that information to do plan strategic planning for the future to improve what they're doing or to expand their their current efforts wonderful and uh, is Victor is your center responsible for how the other schools on the UCI campuses are meeting public needs do you work with the law school the business school engineering and and such I work with uh, yeah I have worked with different schools in the past uh, primarily I've worked with um, the School of Medicine with their um, program for the, the prime LC program it stands for the program in medical education for the Latino community um, I've worked um, with students from the Department of Education um, with the st also with students from the social sciences anthropology sociology um, and um, even some a few students from the School of Humanities so um, I do try to um, reach out across the campus um, but uh, historically, my, my primary focus has been working with um, urban planning students um, in the Department of Planning, Policy, and Design in the School of Social Ecology. Very good. And there, there's so, ma so many directions to take that. And I know that's where your background is. I didn't get to say that introduction from UCLA, that uh, urban and planning, urban planning department that's there. That's correct, yes. I think we might have gotten our urban planning degrees about the same time, right. different places. <laughs> and look where we are now. Look where you are. Look what I am. Two sides of the same... Uh, <laughs> Two sides of the same mic. So, uh, not we, really. We, this is a high-funded uh, radio station. We have at least three mics in the studio, folks. <laughs> so, um, although being close to Victor is, a, it's a goal of mine to get closer and closer. So, I wanted um, then to um, well, with the funding cuts that mount throughout higher education in California, you are no doubt increasingly pressed to make the case to the taxpayer that they're getting something for the research done here at UCI. Uh, yes, that's true, and I would say not only here at UCI, but across the uh, UC system. Um, my, um, I'm a product of the UC system. I got an undergraduate degree in sociology back in the day, as they say, uh, early 70s at uh, UC Santa Barbara in sociology, and then my graduate degree at UCLA. So I uh, really do think um, unequivocally that the UC system is the best system um, or certainly among the uh, best systems uh, for higher education um, in the country, if not the world. And um, 
But that said, I think that uh, we can't, uh, it's precisely for that reason, because we're a public institution, that we can't afford the luxury of isolating ourselves and continuing to, um, to, um, to um, pursue just well, your sort of your pet elite sort right, of right. research track. To be an ivory tower. To, to, we have to do what we can to um, diminish that, uh, that perception, public perception of the university as, as, a, as uh, an island unto itself. And it's not to say that we're not doing anything. Um, in fact, we're doing a great deal. I think one of the challenges that not only our campus faces, but all of the UC campuses face is the ability to, um, how do you publicize that? What, what can you do to, other than put that on your uh, marquees um, or put them on your websites, what are the other kinds of ways that we can um, um, demonstrate uh, that the work that's being done here by faculty, but also by staff and um, most importantly by students um, is reaching, um, is, is responding to um, issues facing uh, the, the state and the regions and the local communities um, in ways that are, are making a difference. And and you are, and I know that uh, we were hoping that Michael Montoya might come and he might be a guest another time to, to, to talk about what the Institute for Clinical and Translational Sciences is doing with uh, with social uh, justice and medical research. It's it's really, uh, it's wonderful that with the, the, uh, the funds that they have available they're very very conscious of channeling those resources into uh, co public or communities community organizations that want their health initiatives to be addressed and carried with the research that's being done here at uh, UCI and so now it's really important with the time we have remaining for you Victor to talk about next Monday's forum it's all day it's Monday April 25th called the public scholarship engaging contradictions in the contemporary university so you've invited George Lipsitz to be your keynote. He'll be the leading off in the morning then with his talk? Actually, his particular talk is from like 11.30 to 12.30. Ooh, I, I would really hope I can pair myself, take myself away from my office <laughs> and head down there because he's got, he's a, an American Studies scholar with uh, the with the Black Studies uh, at UC Santa Cruz. I imagine this man's going to light up the forum with his work on social movements, urban culture, and inequality. Do, do you know what exactly his topic is going to be at well, the forum? The, yeah, the talk will be, the conference is um, scheduled from 9.30 to 4.30 in the um, Humanities Gateway Building, room 1030. Um, it's free. It's free and open to the public, uh, with the exception of parking. And um, breakfast and, um, and lunch will be provided. Um, and um, there's... You, you want people to register for this, too. And so... Right. How, and the way they register, now, are you giving up? It says on the, the calendar that gives your email address, but who's, how are they supposed to register? There is a website, and um, uh, I can't remember it. Well, I don't want to misrepresent the website. Um, well, they can go to UCI calendar and open right. up April 25th, look for the Public Scholarship Forum, Public Scholarship Engaging Contradictions in the Contemporary University, and I believe that there will be a link at that calendar site to open up uh, to get your reservation so that your nose is counted, you get your breakfast and your lunch. My goodness. It'll take you directly to the website, and there you'll find a, um, a bar that says registration, and all you have to do is sign up, um, and um, we'll uh, make sure to have a name tag for you, and um, and uh, we really would welcome uh, participation from um, 
a wide cross-section of the campus, but um, hopefully also from the public. Okay, so we're hopefully going to get this podcast up much sooner than later, so uh, you can link up, have friends that missed the show today, link up and hear a bit of the, the backdrop in um, the, for heading into the forum. Well, the, it, the conference, I understand, focuses on how to achieve a greater balance between public scholarship and institutional prestige. And I know that's a, that's a big, big mission for you, Victor, especially given the need for the greater community investment in uh, higher education. What um, They're also going to talk about what are the ways in which uh, research universities can earn public trust through public scholarship and how we can address the contradictions between public scholarship and prevailing institutional expectations of faculty development. Those questions. Um, so you're hoping you're going to catch nearby uh, individuals as well as uh, the public uh, around Orange County and uh, perhaps, I don't know, donors or um, uh, elected representatives? I mean, who, who would make you happiest to show up at this forum? Well, I think I, I'm looking for a wide cross-section of people. I don't know that there's anybody in particular um, that, um, that we're targeting. I think people who are concerned with the role of higher education institutions like research universities and their um, their function um, and uh, their relationship to the broader communities that they're located in are are those who will show up to the conference. Uh, if I could go back just for a few oh, seconds, do. Claudia, to talk about Professor Lipsitz. Um, I would like to hear lots more about him. He is a, a renowned, um, both nationally and internationally, uh, American studies scholar. He's a professor at actually at UC Santa Barbara in the Department of uh, Black Studies and Sociology. Um, he's written on a variety of interdisciplinary topics in the humanities. Um, and the name of his, the title of his talk, I should say, is, yes. is um, um, Public Scholarship, Why It Matters, uh, Why It Matters More Now. And um, he will make the case, as I understand it, that public scholarship is um, as good as um, what you call basic research, but he will go out to make the argument that in many ways it's a it's a it's a it's a um, a, a stronger um, type of research. Um, but I think the conference isn't a, a a debate about which is better research, public scholarship or basic research. I think for the way reason I'm putting it on is I see the need for the university to um, expand opportunities for faculty, um, young and senior faculty who are interested in extending their research uh, work um, into the community and make availing themselves to the community and working in partnership with communities. Um, it's about a different a kind of approach and I think as a, uh, if we're ready to claim um, the title of being a 21st century university, then we have to began to think differently uh, and um, identify new ways of learning, working, and doing that respect the, um, the things about the, re the approaches to research that have made us a great university to date, but also um, build upon those and uh, use a little creativity and imagination um, to um, expand um, uh, the ways that we do things and um, increase our, um, our um, abilities to problem solve in concert with um, the, uh, the, the, the communities that uh, we surround. 
I want to just let those listeners who are tuning in, I know you're expecting, George Rosales will be here uh, momentarily, I'm thinking. Uh, we have a little extra time then to talk with Victor Becerra. Uh, he is the director of UCI's Community Outreach Partnership Center, putting on a special forum on Monday, April 25th, the Public Scholarship Engaging Contradictions in the Contemporary University. I also want to remind listeners, you're listening to KUCI 88.9. FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. Uh, George Rosales with George Hat will be on temporarily, uh, momentarily, but I do want to make sure we give Victor Bercera uh, his due with all the fine work he's doing there at the School of Sociology, Public uh, Planning and, um, and Design. Pu- public policy. Planning policy Pla- and planning design. Planning policy and design. Yes. My PPD's there. And so... Um, <laughs> So uh, let's see. We've got it's a big enough forum so everybody can come. There's no nobody hesitate here to, uh, for lack of uh, a late reservation that when uh, so that you'll be able to accommodate anybody who can come. Um, I'm just trying to think here what we can uh, include here and um, uh, if, in, if you don't mind, Claudia, let I want to hear. Let me talk about some uh, the this is this this conference is not anything new. Um, You've had fa- them in previous years, right? And yes, I've had many, but. Um, and the university has a the University of California has a track record in this area uh, on a number of fronts. But most um, importantly, um, um, there's been system-wide gatherings to discuss this. And uh, I point to um, a report that was done in 2006 or 2005, December 2005. Uh, it was a uh, report called "Promoting Civic uh, Engagement at the University of California." It was a report uh, for the University of California community um, that was done by a um, strategic group on civic and academic engagement made up of representatives from um, the uh, different campuses across the UC system. And um, so there is a track record. And in that report, um, they say the executive summary starts by saying the University of California is the nation's largest and most prestigious public research institution. As such, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to assume a leadership role in an emerging national movement within higher education, translating our identity as as a land-grant institution into 21st century terms. And I think that eloquently and succinctly um, gets at the heart of what this conference that um, I'm organizing um, in cooperation with a series of other units on campus is all about. Um, it's about translating our land grant um, um, brand into um, into terms that are um, commensurate with the uh, expectations of a 21st century university. Victor, do you know um, from either previous forums or uh, increasingly other forums um, that your uh, um, others the other schools on campus are? Will this be webcast? At least um, Dr. Lipsitz' uh, yes, presentation. Yes, th- yes. This will be. There will be a live feed, live video feed. And um, if you go to the website um, and um, click on the, the a bar that says um, video, live video, there will be a link there that you just click on and it will, um, and it will you can tune in. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also um, um, videotaping the conference so that um, if, not, if, it's, if it's not all uh, taped, if, uh, the majority of it will be taped so that will be streamed at a later date on the uh, conference website. Okay, good. So, uh, so the conference website that where you get your reservation right. is also what is opened up for the webcast. Right. Simultaneous. Precisely. Live. 
right. live and in color from. And then, and, and you know, it's it's um, the publicity we've gotten, uh, the return on the publicity we've done um, has been very um, using a number of national outlets that do community engagement research um, has been really uh, fruitful. I've heard from um, uh, people as far away as uh, the UK who have inquired about the conference as well as uh, folks from across the country, um, Indiana, um, um, Pennsylvania, uh, and so on. So Excellent. I think that it will reach a very wide audience, and um, which is a good thing not only for um, the School of Social Ecology, but for the, the campus as a whole. It, 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 it uh, sort of stakes out our position as a campus that is Leading the way. To committed to this kind of work, and I know that based on the uh, statements by uh, Chancellor Drake in my past conferences, that he and EBC Gottfriedson and others um, in the uh, um, the dean of uh, like Valgenes and Social Ecology and Vicky Ruiz in the School of Humanities are all um, leaders in this uh, who 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 understand the importance of this kind of work to a, a public research university and um, have shown their commitment to it time and time again, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Well put, and wrap it up. And give uh, you see it's due as a, as a leader amongst uh, higher education institutions around the country. Absolutely. To, to do to the work that's got to be done. Well, Victor, I'm so glad that you were able to, to join us this morning, and uh, that wraps up this show. I want to thank you for turning out, and... Um, I hope that the turnout exceeds your expectations, and I, I hope that I get to be there. I'm, it's, uh, it's not clear yet, but I, I want to hear Dr. Lipsitz because of uh, what fascinating kinds of works I've seen um, that's posted with various um, sites that, that uh, shows his work. So I'm uh, wishing you the very best. Thank you very much for coming today. Thank you for the opportunity, Claudia.